Welcome to Creepy Kentucky. I'm Quinn. And I'm Laura. And is there anything we want to talk about uh, before we jump back into uh, our little uh, origin story? Uh, dating game killer died. I know, I saw that. Yeah? Yeah. Um. I'm sad. Oh. I'm sad he wasn't beaten to death ages ago, but, you know. Right. Um, weren't we going to dedicate this episode to someone um, special? Yes, we were. We're going to dedicate this episode to a young lady named Patches who sadly passed away last week. She was our she was our historical advisor, Ron's little sweet kitty cat, and uh, things went south, and so we're we're super sorry that that happened, and you know, hopefully she's uh, rainbow bridging it right. as as this we one's speak. For you, yeah. All right. So the last time that we left. Um, Harry Price had made a visit to see the Foisters at Borley Rectory, and he and the people he'd been there with had kind of thought that maybe the the priest's wife was kind of responsible for a lot of it. That idea did not go down so well <laughs> with them, um, and so that was the last visit he made to Borley Rectory for a while. Uh, but while he was persona non grata, as you, as it were, uh, the paranormal incidents, according to the Reverend Foister, not only continued, but intensified. Uh-oh. So, the happenings included, uh, voices calling her name, Marianne's name, uh, footsteps heard by multiple people, um, Several appearances of the late Harry Bull wearing his favorite dressing gown. The disappearance and reappearance of household items. Um, various smells. And the ringing of bells. I don't like weird smells. Yeah. No. Depends on what the smell is. Like, right. if you want to, you know, put up like a nice gardenia smell. I'm, I'm here for that. You can haunt me. Yeah. You can go uh -huh. ahead. Yeah, you can some go ahead. Basil and rosemary. Oh, some rosemary would be off. Oh, that would be awesome. If you uh, wanted to uh, cesspool it, then you can just, you know, go back on your merry way. Right. Uh, no one wants to smell that. No one, no one wants to. Um, so, in addition, members of the household were supposedly injured by invisible attackers. Uh, stones were thrown on many occasions, once in the presence of a bishop, uh, doors locked themselves, clean linens had been dragged along the ground, uh, pictures were taken off of walls and laid on the ground, and, what? yeah, I don't know, furniture was overturned, uh, there were many strange noises, and doors, well, I said doors, though they often locked themselves, but then they would unlock themselves. So, who freaking knew? Um, yeah, it's really hard to tell what it's going to do, too, from that. If that's all the truth, you know. Right. You don't know what it's going to do next. So, it would be, like, super stressful. It if really it, would be. If it has that kind of, like, repertoire, as it were. Yes. Uh, 
So, nine months into their occupancy, things were so bad that Reverend Foister invited two Anglican priests into the house uh, to go over it with incense and holy water. Where's my holy water? Uh, a few yeah. months later, the house was fumigated with creosote, whatever that is. Um, none of this seemed to slow down the phenomenon. If anyone knows what creosote is, I'm too lazy to look it up. So, um, Some of the strangest phenomenon, phenomena which occurred during the Foister's incumbency were messages written on the walls of the house or on small slips of paper which would then vanish. And they would ask for help. Like, Marianne, please get help. Get help. Oh. Yeah. And then, like, sometimes they would write underneath stuff like, well, like, what kind of help do you, like, what do you need? Like, we can't understand you. And then they would just write, there would just be squiggles. I'll have to send you a picture of it because it's, it's unusual. Yeah. It sounds very unusual. It kind of reminds me of, um... Oh, who was it that would write messages? The Annabelle doll? Oh, no. Don't like that. <laughs> mm -mm. Don't like that. I think I think Annabelle would write messages. Uh, Did the she. Sally House have messages? Ooh, yeah. Ooh, maybe. I don't remember. I don't remember I don't, either. Yeah. I don't know. All I know is it was bad. Bad. Right. <laughs> bad. <laughs> <laughs> Several of the, of the phenomena which happened when the Foisters were at the rectory were experienced by other people as well. As well, um, A woman called at the rectory one afternoon to see Reverend Foister. Uh, Marianne told the lady that the Reverend wasn't there, whereupon the lady said that Marianne must be mistaken. She herself had just seen the Reverend upstairs through a window wearing a very distinctive dressing gown which we know the Reverend Harry Bull had. Huh. So a friend named Edwin Whitehouse visited the rectory at least 30 times between June 1931 and the end of 1931. He experienced objects moving, saw, saw messages appear, saw a mysterious fire smoldering along a baseboard in an unused room and heard and saw the bells ringing. Um, he told Harry Price that he believed the events were preternatural and didn't think the Foisters, especially Marianne, had hoaxed anything. So Lady Whitehouse, who was Ed Ed Edwin's aunt, told Price of an evening when she and her husband, who was Sir George Whitehouse, had, oh, <laughs> had, had returned to the rectory because Marianne Foister had predicted that they were going to have, a, quote, a bad night. So, at one point, Lady Marianne and Lady Whitehouse had smelled something odd. And as they went to look for the source of the spell, Marianne suddenly shouted, It's a fire! They ran upstairs and opened doors until they found a room where a fire was burning in a skirting board. Um, the group put out the fire with jugs of water. And, at, like, it's a good time probably to remember also that, like, this house was not on, like, a water line. So all the water came from, like, wells. 
so that was how they put it out and as, yeah yeah and as they waited to make sure that it was totally out a flint fell amongst them and on their way downstairs two more flints fell Oh, no. And later, a shower of stones fell, as did another flint, and the bells started to ring again. So, at this point, Sir George and Lady Whitehouse insisted that the foisters and the two children they were looking after leave the rectory and stay at the White House's home. And supposedly, they stayed there for like about a week or so. So, on another occasion, uh, Edwin Whitehouse was summoned at 11 a.m. to the rectory by Reverend Foister. Edwin returned to his aunt and uncle's house and he begged his aunt to let the Foisters stay there again. So, Lady Whitehouse decided she was going to figure out what was going on. So, she went to the rectory with her nephew. And as they opened the front door, they could hear objects being thrown about. The two children were cowering near the dining room door. Oh. Yeah, and Marianne was ill in bed upstairs. So Lady Whitehouse got Marianne a cup of tea. And a small glass bottle rose from the middle of the room and fell at her feet. Oh my. And so soon the Foisters were at the White House's home again. Um, Lady Whitehouse told Harry Price that she believed that the phenomena was real and never believed that there was any trickery, but she never experienced any other phenomena at the rectory. But that was enough to make her believe it. That was, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that would be enough to yeah. make a believer out of someone. Yeah. I mean, if I walked into a house and children were cowering in a doorway, I would right. I would be concerned. <laughs> like I would think that there was something going on. Yeah, it just it's a mild concern. Yeah. So the Foisters left the house after five years of occupancy. Uh, Lionel Foister's body was crippled by arthritis at this time. He spent all his time in a wheelchair. Um, he also had had two heart attacks. And on the last occasion when he tried to preach at the church, he collapsed in the pulpit. And from, yeah, from this point, the house was never lived in by a clerical family again. Or any family, really. Oh. So... After the Foisters left in October 1935, Harry Price uh, kept in contact with um, people in the village, and they reported seeing lights in the windows. In February 1936, Price published a book called Confessions of a Ghost Hunter, which if that doesn't sound like a book Zach Bagans would write, I don't know what it is. Well, no, he wrote Ghost Hunting for Dummies. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then what was that? He wrote, a, like, a quote-unquote biography, too. What was it called? I can't remember what that one was called. I don't remember either. Like, something about the dark or darkness or something. I don't oh. know. Yeah. Some pretentious oh, bullshit like yeah, that. I don't know. Oh, about as pretentious as his music, so, you know. 
yeah. we all know how well how much well we that like went that. well. Yeah. <laughs> so. In this book, Price said that while he had some doubts about what he'd seen during the Foy search time, he believed that what he'd seen earlier was real. So in March of that year, uh, a man named Reverend A.C. Henning became rector, but he uh, wisely decided to live elsewhere. <laughs> I mean, just for the state of like having no electricity and no water mains alone, like Right. Yeah. Um, so in May, Price visited the area and then he made arrangements to rent the rectory for a year. Um, he paid about 30 pounds for this privilege, which is about 200 or 2,200 pounds today or about $3,000. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Price's aim was to investigate the house for a year and his dilemma was how quite to approach this. Um, he decided to stay out of it as much as he could, and instead he would rely on intelligent, this is a quote, intelligent, competent, and cultured strangers who were not spiritualists, unquote. Okay, that's and, fair. Yeah, and it would be even better, quote, if they knew nothing about psychical research, unquote. So... He put an advertisement in the London Times on May 25, 1937, asking for applicants for a rota of observers, and over 200 applications were received. Oh, God. So he eventually, after going over all the applications and doing interviews, winnowed the list down to about 40 people. So he prepared a blue book of instructions and each investigator was required to sign a declaration to follow certain rules. So the first rule was they could not talk about the name or location of the house to outsiders. They could not take outsiders there. They could not write anything about the investigation or take pictures of the house without permission. They had to submit a report on every shift on which they watched the house. Uh, they had to be sure to lock all doors and windows behind them and take care of all the keys. Um, they had to pay their own expenses and they could not be associated with the press. Oh my. So, you know, in theory, very strict. Very hush hush. <laughs> yeah. So, on June 2nd, 1937, Harry Price and a friend whose name was Ellie, Alec Howell uh, drove down to Borley to set up the base camp in a, the library. Uh, they put up a camp bed, a table lamp that ran on paraffin, a kettle, some cutlery, some tea and sugar, of course, and they left about 20 books there. Um, they also left some objects around the house. They drew... Uh, a chalk ring around every object that was movable and while they were doing this they found an old blue coat hanging on the door of the blue room and it hadn't been there two weeks earlier when Price had been there the last time. Price could never find out whose coat it was despite several inquiries and one observer reported that it vanished from the rectory for a week and then returned. What? Yeah, so... That's weird. Yeah. 
price. Just some random ass coat popping up. Showing up, up yeah. And disappearing. And popping back up. And popping back <laughs> up, like, I don't know. I don't know. So, Price and Hal decided to spend some time at the rectory that night. Um, at 9 p.m., they heard a series of short, sharp taps coming from the passage outside. Um, 15 minutes later, they heard two loud thumps. Then a door was slammed upstairs. An hour later, the house had gotten cold and the men decided to leave. So, yeah, it's cold. I'm leaving. Well, for me, it's the opposite. Yeah. It's too hot. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. The, yeah, 100%. Um, so the first observers of the rectory were a man named Sidney Glanville and his son, and they were also some of the most frequent observers. A um, Mark Care Pierce, who later worked for the British Foreign Office, also spent many hours at the rectory. All of them heard a multitude of unexplained noises. They found new wall writings and saw several things which moved. And Care oh. Pierce, yeah, and Care Pierce also once found a mummified fog, frog. What? Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know. And That's yeah, random. Yeah, and he was once locked in a room. Ooh, yeah. like that. No. Um, he also hosted a séance there one evening. Um, he and his other participants heard a strange noise coming from the kitchen. Uh, which began making its way down the hallway toward them, but when they all stood up to try to see what it was, the noise stopped. That happens a lot to me here. Yeah. When you try to see what it is, it's like, oh, you're lo you're actually looking at me now. No. Right. I don't, yeah, I don't like that. Wait, I'll hear the radio stuff. Clear as day when I'm laying down. But as soon as I stand up to go look for it or see what it is, it stops. And when you lay back down, does it come back on? Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't like that. It's no, like they it's can... annoying. Yeah. And then the, it makes you feel like they can see you. And I don't really like that either. Right. As a... Yeah, are I don't... You, are you watching me, guys? Yeah. And I don't really like that. Does this entertain you? Yeah, it probably does, actually. Probably. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I'd probably do the same thing as a ghost. We made her get up. Ha 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 see. We made her get up. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So the observers included several current or future military officers, a doctor of philosophy, several people from the BBC, uh, a publishing house employee, a Bank of England employee, a medical doctor, and several Oxford and Cambridge undergraduates. Um, they experienced a variety of phenomena, including shuffling footsteps, swishing fabric, dragging sound uh, sounds, new wall markings, items being moved, sun drops in temperatures, the smell of incense, knocks, raps, thumps, uh, sightings of figures which shouldn't be there, lights, footsteps, and being touched over the year of Price's tenancy. So that year ended on May 19th, 1937. 
And Price went to Borley with a neighbor to gather all his things and drop off his set of keys. Um, he and the neighbor went through the house several times. Um, and this one is really odd, too. On their last pass through the house, um, they found a 22-carat wedding ring on the floor between the blue room and its adjoining dressing room. What? Yeah, and later he found that the ring was made in Birmingham in 1864, and no one ever claimed it. That's weird. That is so weird. Um, so, several Ouija board sessions and seances had taken place in the rectory. Um, many had supposedly made contact with a nun named Marie Lair, who had come to England from France in the 1600s, been murdered, bricked up alive, and wanted masses and prayers said for her. Is that the nun that they That they think walking? they saw, yeah. Which, I don't know what to think about that. Yeah, I don't know either. That's weird. Another Ouija session, which was held in March in 1938, uh, brought a different entity to light. According to Sidney Glanville, his daughter and his son Roger, oh, his daughter's name was Helen, took a Ouija okay. board. Yeah, took a Ouija board to Borley, which had never ever produced any kind of message at all. But this time, it seemed to contact something or someone called Sunex Amures. What a name. Which predicted that the rectory would burn down at 9 p.m. that night, uh, that bones and proof of the haunting would be found afterwards, and that the fire would start over the hall. Ooh. So, but nothing That's happened. Crazy. Yeah, so nothing happened. All right. In 1938, after Harry Price um, made a radio broadcast about the Borley haunting, a man named Captain, Captain Gregson got in touch with him to say that he'd bought the rectory. Uh, the purchase was completed in December of that year. Um, Gregson told Price about an incident where he was showing a visitor around the building um, the guest became very ill in the library, but Gregson felt fine. And other odd incidents during Gregson's time at the rectory include the removal of a heavy hatch cover for the well in the cellar, um, the, break, the breaking of a drinking glass and the water it contained, and uh, footsteps in the courtyard, which so terrified a dog that it ran away. Oh. Yeah. Poor puppy. Oh, yeah. Well, it might have been for the best. So, because okay. on uh, February 27th, 1939, Captain, Captain Gregson was sorting books in the hall when a lamp, which, since, you know, it didn't have electricity, it was a kerosene lamp. Right. Overturned. Ah. Within a few minutes, the flames had spread and the fire grew out of control. Um, the house was gutted, and during the fire, the figure of what looked like a young girl was seen at an upper window of the house, and later, Captain Gregson was questioned by police 
about a woman in gray and a man wearing a bowler hat who were seen coming out of the house while the fire was raging. Oh my. Uh, the figure of the young girl was seen again at an upper window on the night of March 26, 1939 by two local residents. Um, on the 16th of March, a man passing by the ruins on his bicycle heard um, horses approaching quickly and he moved out of the way the sounds came closer and passed him without his actually seeing anything and this happened again in 1953 to a group of five investigators so oh, like the, so at this point like some of the things that people were seeing at the rectory are still being seen basically yeah that's huh that gives it a little bit of credibility, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, in 1939, and this I um, so, in August 1940, Harry Price published his book, The Most Haunted House in England, about Borley. And upon reading the book, a man called W.J. Pithian Adams, uh, okay. yeah, who was the canon of, the, of Carlisle Cathedral, um, wrote to Price suggesting a new analysis of the Borley case and telling the ghost hunter that excavations should be done in the cellars. Um, this didn't happen for a number of years, though, because, for one thing, it was still Captain Gregson's property, and he was trying to sell it. <laughs> and, and also, World War II was going on, obviously. And not, oh, it's just World War II. Yeah, it's just a minor plot point. Um, right. Uh, not only was East Anglia a dangerous place to be, but also there was a shortage of manpower and gasoline. Fair enough. So, um, yeah, so they couldn't really, the, it was, so excavating what remained of the cellars of Borley was not high on people's lists of things to do. No. Oddly. Weirdly, I mean, I know. Oddly enough, it wasn't top priority. Yeah. Um, However, on August 17, 1943, um, they did do some excavation and found human bones and two religious medals uh, under th uh, three feet under the cellar floor by a group including the current rector as well as Captain Gregson. Oh. So later an x-ray was taken of the bones. Um, and apparently it was like skull bones because it showed a large abscess, um, like in the, like a large abscess around the teeth, oh. which would have caused its owner tremendous pain. Um, the analysis showed that it probably belonged to a young woman under 30 and the bones were reburied in an unmarked grave in Borley Churchyard in 1945. Oh, so could it have been the nun that they were? That's what I was wondering. 
possibly saying that's what I would guess. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, like, that's what I was, that's what I was thinking too, is that was the quote-unquote nun. Because it did say that she was murdered. And yeah. And all well, I mean, put in a wall, but. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, I mean, like, like, they, they identified her so specifically as a nun that it's hard to come to any other conclusion but that that's what she was even if you wanted to think that like well she was just wearing something dark so maybe something else was going like maybe it was like a widow like a young widow that had missed her but they identified her so specifically as a nun that it's hard to like come to any other conclusion that it that that's what it was and especially since they have the religious medals. Yeah, exactly. Along with the bones. Right. So that kind of points an more toward thing. And not yeah, thinking. exactly. That's what I think. I don't. I mean, this whole thing is just. I don't know. It's odd. Yeah. Um. So after the fire, people in the neighborhood continued to see and hear unusual things around the remains of the rectory. Um, lights were seen moving around which were investigated by air raid wardens and they never found anything Um, visiting soldiers um, saw doors open and close they heard whispering they saw stones thrown and uh, black shapes were seen Uh, a man visiting was thrown to the ground and another man was followed down the road by footsteps just like the one son said that he was? Yeah. Um, huh. Uh, in 1944, uh, Harry Price visited with a David Sheeman, Sherman, David Sherman, couldn't read my own handwriting, David Sherman and Cynthia Ledsham, or Leedsham, during which several, quote, flying bricks were observed. At this time, demolition was in progress, and some of the, quote, flying bricks could have come from workmen. However, a London magazine um, examined a famous photo of a brick seemingly hovering in midair and believed that it could not have been a thrown brick. So they don't really know what it was. So, um, in 1946... Harry Price published another book. It was called The End of Borley Rectory. Um, His book contained the theories of uh, the canon, whose name I don't want to try to pronounce again, um, plus information about post-fire hauntings. Um, Price was at work on a third volume when he died unexpectedly of a heart attack on March 29, 1948. Oh, R.I.P. Harry Price. The Zach Bagans of the 30s. Uh, And then, so, at this point, in what I can only call, in some ways, really shameful, um, a period of very heavy criticism of Harry Price began. Yeah, a journalist named Charles Sutton claimed that Price hoped, hoped some of his poltergeist activity um, so this claim, this claim came to the attention of the current then president of this, uh, the Society for Psychical Research of the day, 
His name was William Salter, who wanted to investigate, although some might say malign, uh, Harry Price more thoroughly. Um, so, in 1956, a report was published by the Society. Um, it was called The Haunting of Borley Rectory, and it accused Price of willful deception and fraud, and it also dismissed ghostly claims from before and after Price's involvement in the rectory haunting, which we know many of those were seen by multiple people, so that seems like willful deception on their part, actually, right. to me, but, you know, you know I don't like skeptics, you know I don't like professional skeptics, so, right. I mean, they're, they're horrible people. Blinded by their own skepticism. Yeah. Yeah. So, also, um, another person whose stories seemed to have changed was Mabel Smith. And she was the wife of the Reverend Guy Eric Smith. And he was the one who had taken over the rectory after, like, the, what, 12 months or 16 months that they couldn't find anybody to take it. Right. And mm -hmm. so, at the time, like, she had reported several incidents, but after Harry Price's death, she claimed several times to have had no inexplicable experiences at the rectory and also accused Price of faking incidents. Oh. So, and there's no idea, like, why she changed her tune so bad. She just did. But... Changed her mind. She changed her... Yeah, I don't know what her problem was. So, right. yeah. So, another person whose motives were scrutinized was Marianne Foister. So, her husband Lionel was 22 years older than she was, and he was not in good health uh -huh. at all. So, part of the time, they also had a young lodger named Frank Peerless, peerless. Um, so many have charged, and many Marianne supposedly admitted in an interview that all the poltergeist incidents that happened when she was there were made up by her and Frank, who were using them to as cover for their affair. And okay, yeah. And any incidents which happened before and after this are dismissed by skeptics. So, alright. So, by the 1950s and 60s, uh, obviously the rectory was long gone. Right. And Harry Price's posthumous reputation was in ruins. However, this is not quite the end of the story. Oh! So, Borley Church itself was reportedly the site of several paranormal reports. Um, Reverend Harry Bull himself reported tapping noises, which started outside, then made its way inside the church. Um, during the Price occupancy, when he rented the rectory for a year, um, a workman told one of the investigators that his son had been walking past the church and had heard singing come from it. Oh. Objects had been noted to have been moved inside the church. Um, there's the sanctuary lamp, which was always kept burning on the altar, um, frequently had its wick moved. 
Um, so a lady who looked after it mentioned it to the Reverend, the Mr. Henning, and he suggested putting uh, some kind of cover over it. So the lady who was in charge of it put a book on top of the lamp, but the next morning she found the book on the floor and the wick was still moved. The lady tried on other occasions with other items to keep the wick from moving, um, but at those times the items were found on the floor and the wick was still moved. in 1944, an archaeologist visited with his fiancée. She was a nurse. Um, they heard footsteps approach the church door and the door latch rattle, but no one entered or was even in the vicinity. Um, on another occasion, a catechism class was being held. Uh, the children heard footsteps approach the door and the latch again rattled. Uh, one of the girls jumped up to let the teacher in because that's who they all thought it was. Um, but no one was there. So the little girl closed the door and sat back down. And a few minutes later, when the teacher arrived, she found the door locked. And the little girl said she hadn't locked it at all. Huh. And in 1947, um, Harry Bull's widow decorated the church with flowers. Um, the vicar actually stopped by and congratulated her on how lovely the flower arrangements were. The next morning, when the, they opened the door, the flowers were found strewn around the church. Which Those seems did not like the flower arrangements. Yeah, which made me wonder if that was Harry Bull, like, playing a trick on his wife. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, those are great, honey. I'm just going to throw them everywhere. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, then while she's asleep and just throws them everywhere. Everywhere. Like, I don't know what happened, honey. <laughs> it must have been the that, ghost. If that was me, that would have been the first person I would have thought about was like, you would have seen my eyes narrow and just me looking around going, Harry? Harry, Harry? was that you? Was that you? <laughs> you asshole. You were always an asshole. <laughs> so uh, let's see Harry Price himself was a witness to some phenomena on a visit to see the tomb in the chancel he and Reverend Henning heard loud screechings of birds coming through an open door and then they heard footsteps approach the door uh, the headmistress of a nearby school heard limping footsteps follow her around the church um, she decided to leave, and the footsteps followed her to the door, then stopped at the threshold. Oh. Um, a Borley resident heard something, quote, quote unquote something, come up the path toward him as he sat in one of the doorways of the church one night. Um, he saw nothing, although it was a full moon. But he also heard limping footsteps, and he heard the swish of a skirt as it passed as the noises passed by him uh, yeah a few weeks later uh, a man who wanted to explore the area at night he'd only ever been there during the day in summer so he came to the church and he sat in one of the doorways um, eventually he heard footsteps walk past him 
a key rattled in the lock of one of the doors and then he heard random notes being played on the church organ really? yeah but the whole time he saw nothing and in fact a number of people have heard organ music when no one is in the organ loft uh, shadowy figures are seen in and around the church uh, once the reverend and a little girl both saw a shadow at the church porch at the same time several people have reported smelling incense in the church um, the church bell has been rung with the building is locked yeah, people have heard doors open and close from outside of the locked church. Um, the nun has continued to be spotted around the churchyard, and lights have been seen floating down the lane or through the uh, through the area. Um, so hauntings continue to be reported in the Borley area. But the residents, it's a very, very small community. It's only got like a hundred and some residents. And they're very protective of their privacy. And they aren't welcoming to strangers. Fair enough. So, if you go investigate, don't expect like open arms. Because they're not going to, they're not going to do that. And that is the story of Borley Rectory. Yay! That was, that was good. Thanks. That's one of my favorites, like, that's one of my favorite hauntings of all time. I just love that story. That's a good one. Yeah. The nun, like, when I was a kid, like, there was a drawing of the nun in that book I was telling you about, and, like, it Ooh. always spooked me. Like, it, I would get, I would get myself all worked up, like, and get all scared over a freaking drawing. I mean, I know <laughs> I was, like, six or seven, but still, like, come on. Come on, Laura. <laughs> yeah. But normal service will resume next week. I.e. Kentucky yes. stuff. Yes. Oh, can't wait. Or not next week, but probably two weeks from now. I mean, Let's whenever. Let's our new. Yeah. I'm on page, like, 26. Woo! And I haven't even started getting into the North Carolina stuff yet. Oh, my God. So this might be several parts. You have to hear me talk in a while. It's several parts. It's a good story, though. It is. It's really good. Yeah. And the book I'm reading is very well written. Oh, that's good. Cause about some, it, so. Sometimes the, uh, the true crime books are not as well written as you might think. Yeah, that's I very mean, true. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. Like, uh, Stranger Beside Me. That was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Others, not so good. Others, not so good. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. Ah, that was good. That I was feel, good. I feel spiritually cleansed now. We've talked about our uh, origins. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then we can, like, when we get really tired, we can go back to... We can do a different... We can do a each. different thing. Or we can start our other podcast. Or we can do whatever... You know what? We can do whatever the hell we want to. Exactly. We can have random episodes that are like a a creepy country or a creepy world. Yeah. Or what instead we instead of it being creepy Kentucky. Yeah. Exactly. 
or what we could do is uh talk like we could watch a show or something and talk about it yeah if we just don't if we just absolutely don't want to do a straight up story right well, we are at about 44 minutes, so Ooh, that's we are in good it. shape. Yeah, we are in good shape. So I guess we should we have, mention our social media. Yes, our email, creepykentucky at gmail.com. And we have a Twitter and an Instagram. Both of those are at creepykentucky. And, and if you would be so kind... As to leave us a review on Apple. I guess Apple. Not the one that takes reviews. reviews. I know Spotify doesn't take reviews. I mean, you know, it is what it is. You know, yeah. it is what it is. Exactly. Yeah. So, will this one be poorly rectory? What the hell again? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. What? Three, two, two one. Poorly rectory. rectory. What, what the, the hell? Hell. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>